All right, everyone, welcome to the BT Powerhouse podcast. As always, I'm your host and manager of BT Powerhouse, Thomas Bendit. We are moving on with our season preview series today. Pretty exciting topic, one of the more interesting teams in the Big Ten. They've kind of been up and down over the last couple of years, but trying to move on to the next page here, and that would be the Ohio State Buckeyes. Um, to help us break it down, we have Matt from Land Grant Holy Land. Matt, how's it going? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on today. <laughs> Definitely. Excited to have you on. Um, so, yeah, I mean, a really interesting season for the Buckeyes. They come off of two sort of, well, I, I guess more of three kind of underwhelming years given preseason predictions. Um, what, what's kind of the feeling in Columbus? How, how excited are fans for this year? And, and where are expectations? So uh, nobody's excited. <laughs> really, it, to be honest, in the uh, – the, Ohio, the best case scenario in terms of fan excitement for Ohio State is that uh, people start to tune in after Ohio State football is over, um, <laughs> and generally they, they really don't really start paying attention to earnest until after National Signing Day, and then they get a little bit and they start to complain uh, that the team isn't competing for a Big Ten title. But the, last, the fact that the last three teams have been lackluster, not just in terms of their final record, but in terms of effort, and uh, you know some some easier on the court things that you can, that you can monitor has led to um, some legitimate dissatisfaction. Um, it, it's going to be interesting to see where the team goes at this point because there was you know as, as your listeners probably know just a huge exodus of players from uh, their last really heralded recruiting class during last offseason. A bunch of kids transferred, um, and Ohio State's really kind of refocused their program now, on, on changed their, their recruiting philosophy. They, they brought in Chris Jensen, Jeff Bowles left on the, on the coaching staff. So things could be really different. And now you have a really very experienced team after the Buckeyes have just been so exceptionally young over these past couple of years. It's, it's really put up or shut up. If there's another you know, lackluster year, if they miss the tournament again, uh, I think then the, the university has to start thinking about not, not firing Thadbada, but, but may, perhaps making some other structural changes because given the advantages that Ohio State basketball has, they shouldn't be mediocre for this long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it all makes sense. Um, I'm happy you, you did bring up uh, the departures uh, from last year. Um, you know, we've I, I, I always like to start with last year. You know, it obviously gives us kind of a, a look at what this year could be. Um, so going into last year, I, I don't think Ohio State had exceptional expectations before the season. Um, they kind of are up and down. They get that big win over Kentucky, but – struggle to get quality wins in Big Ten play. Um, what, what did fans make of last year? I, I know we kind of talked about sort of the um, underwhelming excitement, I guess. Uh, but what, what did you make of last year, and how do you think the team builds off of that coming into this year? So a lot of people, I think, understood abstractly that last season was going to be a little bit of a rebuilding year because they're, they had lost basically all of their um, – scoring and production. They're relying on freshmen at, at nearly every position to, to, to provide important minutes. It was by far the youngest team that Ohio State had, and without an anchor superstar recruit. Uh, Jaquan Lyle was really forced to be in that position. He started the season overweight, out of shape, kind of had to play into that role. And, you know, he's not Greg Oden. He's not uh, Mike Connolly. He's not uh, 
you know, D'Angelo Russell and, and kind of needed to be in order for the, the offense to go. Uh, what would have been preferable, I think, would be if, if, if Ohio State really looked like they made demonstrable progress over the season. And it's hard to really get to that conclusion because so many people left. Um, you know, four, four players left, including a guy that a lot of Ohio State fans are pretty excited about, with Daniel Giddens, who projects to be a, a, a above average, a great defensive player, uh, and if he can learn to shoot a little bit, could, could really make a lot of noise in the SEC. So a lot of those players are gone, and so you have to wonder, okay, was this an addition by subtraction? You bring in a highly regarded freshman class that was tuning out the coaching staff and causing effort problems, and now that they're gone, the team's leaders can step up. Like, that's possible, and Ohio State – uh, achieved their most offensive success back when Chris Gent was with the team, somebody who's been working with LeBron James and has coached in the NBA before. Uh, or you could say, you know, they, 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 Ohio State invested all of this time, energy, into uh, a, a top-ten recruiting class. Almost all those kids are gone. They left late enough in the cycle that they weren't able to pick up some really good Ohio kids in 2016 and just kind of punted them two and a half years. That might be the, the more pessimistic outlook. There, there's some reasons to be optimistic or excited about this season, but I don't think anybody will look back on last year with a, a special fondness. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Um, so you, you talked about some of the departures. You talked about um, some of the, you know, Ohio State's new focus on uh, in-state recruiting. Obviously, most of that will be for 2017 and beyond, um, but they did get some late additions, you know, whether they're transfers, whether they're recruits. Um, and there are bringing in some new guys. Uh, how? What do you make of the newcomers? How do you think they fit in, and can they replace some of those lost contributors from last year? Well, it, it, it's going to be interesting. So you have you have the, the player who seems to be getting the most buzz as somebody who could be contributing early for Ohio State is uh, Michael Potter, which is interesting because he's not the, the highest regarded recruit. Uh, for, for Ohio State, but in terms of, of positional fit and what Ohio State needs, uh, he might he might be the the, the, the a, a missing piece. Potter is a six foot ten uh, big man out of Mentor. He's a consensus three star. His recruiting was really kind of starting to pick up some other really big blue blood, blue blood programs like Duke were sniffing around until he committed to Ohio State and sort of shut everything down. What Potter is able to bring that Ohio State hasn't had in a little while is a big man who can stretch the floor. Potter's not somebody who is a great rim protector, um, but he, he is somebody who has range. And Ohio State bigs over the past couple of seasons haven't really been able to shoot. They haven't had that look before. So I think he's somebody who's going to uh, – might be a little bit of a defensive liability at the beginning, and Thadmont doesn't play those guys a whole lot during the rotation. But he provides a look that Ohio State doesn't have. So I think Potter's going to be able to get some looks. Um, Andre Wesson from, from last year uh, was kind of a, a late addition, local kid, um, somebody who projects to eventually be a plus defender. Uh, I imagine Wesson might redshirt because there's not going to be a whole lot of minutes for, for wing players this, this season. C.J. Jackson was their, their, their most recent addition, and he was a, a JUCO point guard. Uh, came at the very end of the cycle, I think. Uh, I'd be a little bit surprised if Jackson gets major minutes. He's somebody who's supposed to be able to shoot. Um, but that might be kind of a you know, break glass in case of emergency sort of depth player. The most highly regarded recruit, Derek Funderburg, a high four-star guy, uh, top 75 player nationally, six foot nine. Uh, he's the most athletic. He's, he's, 
projects to have the highest defensive potential, but there's some question right now about what position he's going to play. He's not really a center, and I think Funderburg deep down wants to be a shooting guard, but he can't really shoot. So you have the ball-handling ability of a wing <laughs> and the length of somebody who could be a really effective college four or small ball five without the dribbling or the shooting. And so that sounds like somebody who could be really exciting in a year or two, but given that there's some pressure for Ohio State to win now and it's not exactly sure where he's going to be, uh, I would be a little bit surprised if he plays a major role this season. So, so Potter might be getting some burn, but if the Buckeyes are going to make a run this year uh, towards the upper echelon of the Big Ten, it's going to come from the people who have been in this program for two or three or more years, I think, rather than uh, the 2016 recruiting class. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I tend to agree. I, I, I think those guys could turn into nice additions. I, I definitely kind of like Jackson. Um, I think he can bring some nice energy to the backcourt. Um, but certainly uh, this season will be uh, you know, made or, or broken, I guess, uh, by the returners. But with the returners, uh, great transition here on this uh, very great podcast. Um, <laughs> for uh, the, the returning players, uh, the raw, you know, they're going to be the guys in the starting lineup factoring in and the key roles. Um, let's start with the backcourt. Um, you mentioned Jaquan Lyle, you know, sort of got off to kind of a, a mixed start, but, but came out a lot towards the end of the year. Uh, what do you make of the backcourt? Who, who do you think are the key guys to watch? Um, and will there be any surprises there? Yeah, this, this is going to be the unit that I think determines how good a season this is going to be. The player with the, with the highest ceiling on this roster is Jaquan Lyle. Um, he, you're, you're right. He definitely came in a lot near the end of the season. He's lost some weight. He, he looks a lot more athletic. And his ability to use his size is just bully to the basket while retaining some speed. And he's a mismatch problem because he's 6'5", but he can handle the ball and he can be your point guard. Um, that, that, that's, a, that's a huge plus in, in Big Ten play where there's a lot of teams that, that have some smaller guards. He could be your one and he could be your two. And he needs to he needs to have a, a big season here for Ohio State. Last couple of games in the year, he was a 16, 17, 18 points per game kind of guy. If he can keep the turnovers down, he has a chance to be Ohio State's best player. Um, there, there are two. There, I, who I would expect to be their starting two guard would be Cam Williams. Uh, he kind of served as both a, a, guard, a two guard and Ohio State's sixth man. He has the uh, one of the best microwaves I think in the Big Ten. He's a little bit of a streaky shooter, but he's somebody who can come off and then drill four threes. And there were multiple times last season where Ohio State's offense really struggled to get um, a high percentage shots, and they needed to rely on somebody who was able to stretch the floor a little bit or, or to just give them some momentum in a hurry. And that's not something that anybody else in this team can do as well as Williams. He's also a freakish athlete, might be the best dunker on the team, uh, has some high defensive ability, and has also improved. Um, so if those two are hitting, you know, 80, 85% of their ceiling, Ohio State's got a really good backcourt. You've got Jackson able to come in and, and bring a little bit of energy, but Lyle's going to be playing most of the minutes. Uh, and it's, it's big. They're, 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 Lyle's not much of an outside shooter, but Williams is. They, they both can handle the ball pretty well. Uh, there's not a lot of depth here, but, you know, if, if they're healthy, it, this could be a good unit for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I definitely agree with your, your Cam Williams point. Um, I, I don't remember what the exact stat is, but uh, Ohio State's win-loss percentage and, and performance offensively certainly correlated a lot with how Cam Williams did, um, yeah. which implies, you know, 
huge year for him, huge year, uh, you know, potential impact on the team if he can, you know, improve that consistency and, and show up a little bit more in uh, some of his off games, I guess, uh, so to speak. But uh, with the backcourt, uh, transitioning to the wing, uh, kind of the same questions. Uh, who are the guys to watch? Um, you, you mentioned that this is a pretty loaded group, a lot of experience in it. Um, who do you see uh, representing the Buckeyes on the wing? So there, there's three players uh, to, 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 keep, to, to, to monitor here. And so, you know, these, these might be the, your, your three starters. Uh, State might decide to go big if I can kind of bring Cam Williams off the bench uh, as, as your sixth man. Like this, these, 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 these they're going to be used interchangeably, and all of them are going to get a lot of minutes. And they all do pretty different things. Um, one, one of the more kind of intriguing players in this whole conference, I think, is Deshaun Tate. And what's interesting is Tate's not a very big guy. He's only six foot four, but his skill set is that of closer to like a power forward or somebody who wants to play uh, closer to the basket. He is a tenacious defensive rebounder. He's very physical. Um, real, uh, has a great eye and nose for the ball, uh, but he can't shoot outside of 15 feet to save his life. And that's kind of a, a weird profile here, but he's able to mix it up under the basket with players who are much bigger than he is and uh, is somebody who I, I think really perennially showcases effort that has occasionally been lacking for Ohio State. He's an, he's an emotional leader for this team. So he's somebody who's often playing as kind of a three. Uh, he can guard shooting guards, but you're not going to look for him out in the perimeter trying to, to, to you know, shoot 20-footers. Uh, he might want to, but he can't hit any of them. Um, the other other two players here are, are really the other two guys on this team that can score. <laughs> um, you've got the only senior on this squad, Mark Loving, uh, really a, a controversial figure right now, I think, with Ohio State basketball. Really highly regarded player, uh, had a really strong start to his career, and he got suspended uh, late in the season two years ago and then hasn't really come back on. Um, there are times when it doesn't look like he's putting forth his strongest effort. He's not really a very vocal leader. Uh, he also is might, you know, he's probably their second best player. And at times was Ohio State's best player last season. He has range both from three and from being able to get to uh, all, all the way down under the basket. He's a strong free throw shooter. He's one of the few guys in this team that I think can reliably create their own shot, somebody who's a double-double threat. Uh, and this is an Ohio State team that's not a great offensive team. So they need him to be able to continue to play well. And when he's plugged in and when he has his confidence, which I think really got shaken up a lot last year, uh, especially because Ohio State fans are pretty hard on him, when he's confident, he can be – he is a, an all-Big Ten caliber guy. Um, but he hasn't shown that he can retain that confidence and play with that level of consistency over the course of, like, a 10-game stretch. Uh, so he's he's a big guy to watch. He's somebody who who's, who's going to play a little bit closer to the basket. And then you have Tate um, Bates Diop, who's uh, your, your other wing, or will assuredly be be a starter. Uh, and he's kind of a do everything kind of guy. He can score. Uh, he's not a, an outstanding shooter. He's I, I don't. He's not. You you need to be able to to get him the ball in higher percentage situations. But he can shoot threes. But he's a very good and very long individual defender. So uh, as as is Mark Lovett. So those are the guys that Ohio State's going to throw on Indiana's forwards and on Michigan State's forwards and try to ugly up the game a little bit. Um, there's not a whole lot of front court, front court scoring opportunities here for Ohio State, and this is where the, the nexus of their defensive identities 
where they're going to be able to try to get turnovers and get in transition and try to make things a little bit easier for them. All three of these guys have shown flashes, and now they're all upperclassmen. So this needs to be the year where they, where they put up or shut up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. That'll. It's definitely interesting. You know, all three, I, I think, at some point have had a lot of hype, you know, whether it's off of a freshman year or, or as a recruit. And, uh, you know, they've all been decent, but certainly the year where uh, fans are looking for that, that all Big Ten type of season. Um, yeah, Bates Diop is, is probably the one in that group that has some potential um, NBA potential. Mm-hmm. Like all, all three of them have, you know, our, our first or second team, all Big Ten caliber guys, but it has, they haven't put it all together yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but jumping into the front court here, um, you mentioned those be some uh, some challenges, maybe some new faces. Uh, what do you make of things up there? Yeah, so so Lovin's been playing in that in that position group for a while. You know, there there'll be times when he might even play some small ball center for a few minutes if Ohio State wants to push the tempo because they're they're so big uh, at other position groups here. The, the guy that's going to be starting at center. And we'll see the most minutes at that point is Trevor Thompson. Thompson's a big guy, six eleven, he's nearly seven feet tall. Former Virginia Tech transfer, kind of bizarrely tested the NBA waters this year or, or, or last year. And Ohio State fans are like, I don't know why he's doing that, but you no, know, that, that's clearly something that we're, where he has uh, an, an ambition. And he did outplay Kentucky's big man pretty soundly when Ohio State was able to win that game. Um, Foul trouble has been a little bit of an issue with him. Uh, he's not somebody that has a lot of shooting range. That's something that he's been working on for this offseason. But he's actually a, a, a decent defender, a decent rim protector. Not quite as athletic as Daniel Giddens was. Uh, but if he was able to take some of the feedback that he got from the NBA draft process to round out his game a little bit, um, he is in, in, a, in a conference that, has, that does have some, some very good big men. I think he's he's a, a, a better than average player. From there, things get a little bit dicey on the depth chart, which I don't think is uncommon. Uh, you've got Dave Bell backing up behind him. He's somebody that was probably a reach for Ohio State to take anyway. Yeah, he, he had the red shirt. Bell's really athletic. He's good for providing some fouls, uh, but he can't shoot and it doesn't really offer a whole lot more than uh, an athletic body that can get up and down the court. And, and spell Thompson. And then from there, you may see Frank Funderburk, the freshman, play a little bit of a power forward center minutes. Uh, and you're, you're going to see Micah Potter work in that rotation of somebody to provide some floor stretching uh, from that area. You know, basically, at this point, you're, this, is, this is a group of players that's being asked to rebound, something that Ohio State hasn't done super well uh, with, from, from, from those positions. They're going to they're, they're be asked to protect the rim, and make some open shots. This is not the group that's going to need to necessarily lead this team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Um, and it, it will be very interesting to see what uh, what Trevor Thompson does after his NBA hype. Uh, <laughs> but uh, ju- jumping from that, just sort of taking a step back here. Um, you know, we went through the position groups. You know, talked about potential starters first. Uh, just to kind of recap. What what do you project as the starting lineup here on you know opening night you know barring any injuries obviously um, and if you had to make a gut guess here on who ends up being the the guy so to speak the team's top player um, what would be your guess? My, my guess is that Lyle is is the best player on this team. I was loving shortly behind him and there's going to be nights where they 
go back and forth. There, there's really four players on this team that are capable of leading and scoring and leading in most counting stats on, on a typical night, but it's going to be those two that are going to have the most to say about how Ohio State does this year. Um, my, my guess here for a starting five, and this might fluctuate a little bit during the season, is you're going to have Lyle at point guard, Ben Diop at the two, Sean Tate at the three, uh, Mark Loving at the four, and Trevor Thompson at the five. And Cam Williams will be worked in there heavily into the rotation, playing 20 minutes in I-2 uh, as a two-guard or alter- alternate ball handler. Um, Micah Potter will probably get some minutes. They might work Jackson in there to a spell as a third guard. But Thad Mata has historically used a pretty short bench, um, with last year being a little bit of an exception. And I would imagine come Big Ten play that they're working on essentially a seven-man rotation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and getting into that lineup here, you know, again, just trying to take like an overall view of the team. Um, yeah. What what do you kind of see as some of the strengths of this team? You know, whether it's rebounding or shooting or or defense. Um, and what do you see as as some of the weaknesses? So the, the biggest strength that jumps out to me is this is a very big team. Ohio State's going to roll out at times a six foot five point guard, a six foot five, a six foot seven shooting guard. You know, Loving is you know between is, is around I think six six eight I think. Uh, you have Tate who's a little bit undersized, but you can kind of you can guard shooting guards, uh, and then near seven footer. And that's and a lot of these guys are long. So that means there's a lot of arms and passing lanes. There's, uh, it's, it's going to be difficult to drive to the basket. And in Big Ten play, where scoring is often at a premium, that's going to allow them to be in the game for most games. Um, I don't think this is a team that's going to get blown out very much. Um, for all of Thad Mata's faults uh, or things that people might criticize him for, the, the, uh, he's almost always been able to produce teams that play team defense very well. So I, I anticipate that's going to be a strength. This is also an experienced team. They're bringing back virtually all of their scoring, rebounding, and passing from last year. The, the players that all transferred were bench players or people who, outside of Daniel Giddens, I think, really didn't play that big of a role. So when you're looking at Michigan State or you're looking at Indiana or you're, or you're looking at, at Michigan even, or some of these teams that are going to be relying on, on younger players, uh, Ohio State is going to have the advantage of everybody's been through this before. Um, perimeter shooting is an issue. Uh, it's been an issue for Ohio State for a while. Cam Loving can shoot threes. Michael Potter presumably can shoot threes if he's able to get open. Um, but it, it, it's been very streaky. And it, it, there's not really a guy then down low that can just manufacture a basket like Purdue's been able to have. So like a lot of other Big Ten teams, you're going to see scoring stagnate. Uh, it's not a team that moves the basketball around especially well, or at least they did, they did last year with similar personnel. Um, and you know, it's also a team that hasn't won anything yet. They're, they don't have a guy on this roster that, that's made a, a deep NCAA run or has, has beaten a ton of really good teams. So they're experienced. They've been together for a while. But they've been together through some kind of middling, middling teams. And that's, you know, learning how to win, learning how to upset a Wisconsin, learning how to, you know, how to, learning how to win some of these tough games on the road. Uh, they don't have that on the roster yet. And we'll see if Christian is able to beat that back into them. Uh, but that that could potentially matter during conference play. Mm-hmm. And you know, speaking of tough games, um, I, I wanted to get into the schedule a little bit here. You know, obviously, sure. obviously not game by game here, um, but you know, let, let's start with the non-conference slate. Uh, Ohio State over the last couple of years have certainly. Uh, 
they've sort of had some top-heavy schedules. Um, you know, last year it might have been a little improved, but um, you know, it's been kind of a mix of really good teams uh, and some just terrible teams. Um, first off, do you have some general opinions on that? Have you think Ohio State has struggled with that? Um, and then second, what what do you make of this year's non-conference schedule? Yeah, we we've written about that a lot <laughs> on on our website. I would. The Ohio State scheduling model is typically to have three or four high-level programs and then garbage. Um, Dad Mata has kind of gone out of his way to not want to play quality in-state teams. So even though it makes a lot of sense to play Xavier or Cincinnati or Dayton, uh, they're never going to appear on the schedule if, if, if you can help it. Mm-hmm. Uh, this year, I think, is a step forward. You always hope that you can gain the RPI a little bit better. That was, a, I think, a big failure from last year. Like, you should never play Grambling. You should not play teams that are in the, in, in the bottom 100, uh, and, and that was Ohio State's issue last year. This year, I, I think this is better. You know, you have the top-end games. UCLA and Las Vegas is going to be very interesting. You get Connecticut at home. That, you know, these are, these are back-to-back games. Um, those should both be NCAA tournament caliber opponents with NBA talent. Those, those will be great mm-hmm. uh, matchups, I think. I like... Uh, I like playing Providence. You get a Gavit game. There, there was some top you, you weren't going to have that year before. Uh, a, a, I'm not a big fan of the season opening road trip to Navy. Because I don't think Navy is very good, and I wouldn't want to ever play a road game against a team that's not very good. But if, if, if you, you know, get a chance to go use that as team bonding, and Ohio State's football team is, is, is locally uh, around that time, and you get to spend time at the Naval Academy, you know, maybe, maybe there's some side benefits there. Um, there's only, only one or two truly atrocious teams uh, on, on the schedule, so I think it'll help RPI a little bit more. And given how deep and how difficult the Big Ten is, if, if the Buckeyes are able to win, you know, one or two of their top four or five hardest non-conference games, I think they're still be in pretty good place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I, I think they've taken a considerable step forward over past years, um, and. I think sometimes they they got a little too caught up in you know scheduling a Kansas or a Kentucky or something versus uh, what I call a, a really good beatable team, which uh, you know maybe is gaming the system. Uh, but I don't know. I support gaming the RPI. Uh. <laughs> you, you, you have to like it's it's malpractice if you don't, especially since I think Ohio State might be kind of a bubbleish team. Like mm. you have to give yourself every every bit of help that you can. Like you know last year. If Ohio State doesn't lose to UT Pan American or whatever, and they don't lose to, uh, I think they had one other terrible non non conference loss. You, that's a tournament team. They mm-hmm. beat Memphis, who uh, yeah, that seemed like an acceptable loss. Then, because um, they weren't that far off the bubble last season. Instead, you you, you go into the end of Big Ten play and you need to beat like Michigan State twice in in eight days, and that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So this should put themselves in a position to help themselves. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think people kind of get uncomfortable when they think you're you're almost like cheating your way there. Um, but other teams do it, and I just it, – it always shocks me, the the unwillingness, I guess, from some athletic departments. Uh, yeah, like Northwestern. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, don't, don't get me started on, on their horrendous scheduling. Uh, <laughs> uh, but – um, you know, obviously, uh, you know, we've hit on the non-conference schedule. Big Ten schedule, obviously, you know, 
everybody has to play everybody. It's kind of predictable. Um, is there any, you know, quick takeaways you, you had on the Big Ten schedule or anything interesting, at least, that caught your eye? Um, I think it's, it's broken up in a way that's not super intimidating for Ohio State. It, it opens up a little bit easier. They, they have two games against Nebraska. They get Indiana at home uh, to, to end, end the year. But having to play Wisconsin twice is, is going to be a challenge, and it sucks to only get one game against Michigan, which is, you know, thanks, Rutgers. But I, I think, you know, last year was really unfortunate in that they only got, like, one or two chances against the top six or seven teams in the conference at home. Mm-hmm. So they're able to build a relatively robust, you know, win-loss record, but it was a really easy schedule. And, again, that didn't help their RPI. And it sucks when you have to – your only big opportunities are going to be on the road where it's so hard to win in this conference. And so this year I think it's a little bit more balanced. If Ohio State doesn't make the tournament, and, and really I think the expectations should be higher than that, they can't blame the schedule, which is which is set up in every way to give them plenty of opportunities to you know get themselves into as a seven seater above. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned the schedule last year. I remember you know uh, so many fans. You know, I don't know if they were just Big Ten ones or Ohio State or, or who exactly, but were so angry where they were like, well, Ohio State has a winning record in conference play. How can you keep them out? But the thing is, is you know that. That standard doesn't apply anymore. You know, when you have Rutgers, arguably the worst Power Five team, uh, basketball team in modern history, uh, yeah. you, you really no, can't no look argument. at that. Like they are. Yeah. End of story. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you really can't look at that win-loss record the same way when you have them and then Minnesota, who was dreadful last year too. Um, but you know, maybe that'll be different this year. You know, maybe uh... Uh, probably not. Those teams will probably suck again. Uh, uh, they don't suck as badly as they did before. Yeah, I mean, if they can at least just become, you know, terrible instead of just, like, a crater of nuclear destruction, um, that, that would help. But uh, but we'll see. It, it should be interesting to see what Ohio State can do there. Um, I But with that, uh, let's get into the, the fun part here, which is, uh, um, you know, before that, I do want to mention uh, just for one second, um, also screw the Big Ten for not protecting rivalries. Um do you, do you have any thoughts on that? I'm a huge proponent of uh, protecting rivalries, you know, Ohio State-Michigan or, or Michigan-Michigan State or what have it. Um, did you have any opinion on that before we move on to season predictions here? Yeah, I, I, we've, we've, we've written about this a little bit. Uh, I, I, I don't like the current scheduling model. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and certainly I think that the Big, Big Ten basketball has suffered as a result of expansion, and there's nothing we can do about that. We know why it happens. Um, I'm not, just speaking as an Ohio State fan, I don't think the Ohio State-Michigan basketball rivalry is anywhere in the same stratosphere of intensity as the Ohio State-Michigan football Mm -hmm. one. Agreed. You may find some Ohio State fans who care more about beating Indiana in basketball than they do Michigan, especially, I think, over the last decade or so. But I do think it is appropriate to find ways to protect some of these rivalries. There should be two Michigan-Michigan State games over here. There should be two Indiana-Purdue games every year. It may be that every single team, you know, doesn't have a protect, protected rival or maybe we have to manufacture some. Um, but the, the model as it's currently set up, where you might have to play only a team only once two years in a row, and you can't guarantee that the way things aren't going to break to put you in a big schedule disadvantage, I don't think that's sustainable. When you have two teams that are, that are you know, RPI sub-200 level, it probably will be for a little while. I think you have to be creative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm, 
I, my my solution has always been, which is, had, has gotten mixed reactions, is create some sort of committee with former players, Big Ten administrators, and uh, I, I don't know if you get a representative of the schools, but and just select a group of rivalries that you think need to be protected. Because, look, Rutgers does not have a rivalry in the Big Ten. They can, you know, I guess they want to have a rivalry with Michigan, uh, side note, but um, uh I, I, they just, you don't need to protect a game, uh, for them. And I, I hate when, you know, everybody has to have a rivalry protected. You know, if it doesn't exist, just, you don't have to protect it. And I mean, uh, that's always been my solution. I know people don't like the idea of this, you know, uh, mysterious committee deciding what came, the schedule. Um, but I, I think you could easily get to five or six rivalries and just protect those. And then, you know, if thing if things change in 20 years and Rutgers is arch rivals with, you know, Indiana, um, then add it or subtract another one that, that doesn't really exist anymore. I, 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 I'm going to go to Big Ten Media Days tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess today when this podcast probably publishes, <laughs> uh, I think, my, my, my goal is to try and ask Delaney a little bit about Big Ten basketball scheduling or see what coaches think about that to see if that's something that's that has gotten some traction. Because I know that folks that rely on gate receipts financially uh, are not thrilled with the way that the system's currently set up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just it just you know I I hate to put it this simply, but it just sucks for fans you know who who want to watch their team play you know. At least, you know, a person who lives in Michigan, Michigan, Michigan State basketball, uh, that rivalry game gets so much more attention, you know, because college basketball generally isn't even close to, you know, the NFL or college football or, or what have you. Um, but that one perks the interest of the whole state, and it's just a shame when you're you're replacing that with Michigan Rutgers or you know, uh, Michigan Nebraska or something. But uh, yeah. yeah, but. Uh, obviously, we, we've gotten off on a tangent here, so uh, I'll jump back here into Ohio State here. Um, so let's let's get to the fun part, which are season predictions. Um, what? How do you think this team finishes? You don't have to cite a specific record, but kind of a range. Um, where do you think they come in in the Big Ten, and if, do they make the postseason? And if so, uh, what tournament do they make? If Ohio State did not make the postseason at all, it would be a massive disappointment to the level where like if, if they miss the NIT, they really do have to talk about bad Mata. Um, and <laughs> I, I, and I, I've been, a, you know, the fire Mata brigade has been part of the Ohio State fan base the past couple of years, and I think it's really stupid. But, you know, to, for this experience of a team, to, uh, to fail like that would mean you've lost like four recruiting classes in a row, and, and that means something has to change. I don't think that's going to be the case. Um, I think a, a, a reasonable goal for this Ohio State team is to make the tournament. It would be a disappointment if they did not make the tournament. Um, and and to win a game. You know, this is a team that should be a round of 32 team and one that should be in the conversation for something more than that next season when everybody's a senior. Uh, and, then we, and they're just replacing Mark Lovett. Um, that's kind of the range I think of there. This is not a team that I think can win the Big Ten. Like, that's basically Indiana, Wisconsin, or Michigan State. Uh, but it is a team that I think can finish between fourth and sixth, uh, knock off a couple of, of bigger name teams, and win a game in the in the NCAA tournament. Like this is a team that should be between seven and ten seed. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I kind of have them in that range. Uh, I, my my opinion on the Big Ten has always been, you know, you have uh, four teams that are kind of separated. Um, that being Michigan State, Wisconsin, Indiana, Purdue. 
Um, and then you just kind of have a mess of teams that, um, you know, they could make the tournament as a solid seed or they could make the NIT. Um, I think Ohio State is, is in that group. I think yeah. – I think they're a little bit behind, uh, you know, Maryland, Michigan. I'm sure Buckeye fans will like to hear that. Um, but, uh, I, I think they're, uh, gonna finish a tad behind those teams. Um, I'm trying to remember if I had anybody else. Uh, I don't have my, my way too early Big Ten rankings in front of me. Um, but I, I think they're gonna be squarely on the bubble. I think they can get in. Um, but I, I do think they could miss it if they drop some of those games or, Get upset by a, a Rutgers, as impossible as that seems. Um, no, no, not, not a Rutgers. I mean, like, a Rutgers, sure. Like, that's, that's possible. You could lose to Illinois. You could lose to Iowa. I mean, no. Fair enough. Anybody that loses, Fair anybody non-Minnesota division that loses to Rutgers has made a horrible mistake. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I, I, I think they'll, they will be on that bubble this year. I, I think they'll be interesting and uh, intriguing to watch, and uh, we'll have to see what happens. I do think um, – you know, it's just so hard. I, I always, I hate to take the cheap way out, um, but um, versus whether they're going to make the tournament or NIT. But I, I think they're going to be right on that bubble, um, and one or two games could could make the difference. So it should be interesting to watch. Um, yeah. But uh, Matt, uh, first off, thank you for coming uh, or joining the podcast. I should say, um, any final thoughts on Ohio State basketball, um, and as well. I uh, I feel like I would be doing a disservice to our podcast listeners if I didn't at least ask you about this weekend's Ohio State-Wisconsin football game, um, and, and what do you make of the the showdown in Madison? Uh, Ohio State's going to beat the crap out of Michigan. I mean, I mean, excuse me, not Michigan. <laughs> They're not going to beat the crap out of Michigan. They're going to beat the crap out of Wisconsin. There's not a single position group uh, where Wisconsin is better than Ohio State. And it's going to be Madison that's tough, and Wisconsin has a very good defense. But I think Buckeyes win by two touchdowns. Um, and it should be, should be a, an exciting end of the football season for them. Um, you can find me at Matt SBN. Uh, I help run land grants. I do a bunch of other college football and some college basketball work for SB Nation. I oversee all of the team sites. Um, so you'll, you'll find me around the Internet relatively easily. Awesome. Well, again, Matt, thanks for joining us. Um, for our listeners, you can check me out on, on Twitter at tbendit. Um, and for everyone who checked us out, we appreciate it, and we'll see you next time.